unnecessarily due to not understanding how things exist or due to misunderstanding how things exist. Things don't exist the way they seem. <clears throat> things don't exist the way they appear, according to Buddhism. Here to exist in a concrete, solid, separate way when they don't in fact exist that way. I'll talk a lot more about that. And this fundamental mistake of thinking that things exist in a concrete, separate way draws us into all of the difficult emotions, our Obsessive desire, anxiety, fear, anger, hostility, annoyance, jealousy, arrogance. All of those disturbing emotions are based in this fundamental misunderstanding. And then we create unconstructive actions, thoughts, words, physical actions that bring about more problems in our life. So yeah, so the first, the first teaching that the Buddha ever gave was the teaching on the Four Noble Truths. That, that all, all the problems in the world, all the suffering in the world, and all of our personal problems and unhappiness are due to, fundamentally <coughs> due to the disturbing emotions. Yeah, and if we think about that, if we think about the problems in the world as a whole right now, the environmental degradation, we can point to greed as being a major source, uh, cause of that problem. Right? The, the greed for more and more at the expense of our <coughs> planet. Poverty is due to attachment and greed, right? There's plenty of resources in the world for everybody to survive and eat, but due to greed, um, those resources aren't shared equally. Violence in the world, a lot of that is due to hatred or attachment to power. Yeah. Income inequality, greed. On and on, right? We can we can point to any of the problems in the world and we can we can trace that back to some sort of disturbing emotion, some sort of a selfish 
personal and then our personal unhappiness. Our personal problems are also said to be traced to back to our disturbing emotions. When anger or obsessive desire or jealousy arise in the mind, they immediately agitate our minds. Our minds immediately become unpeaceful. And then we may even do actions out of that, from that disturbing emotion that is unconstructive in our lives. Maybe we'll say something unkind to somebody else. Maybe we'll even say something snarky to someone we really care about and hurt, our, you know, hurt somebody. Or we'll say something snarky to someone we don't care about. Right? Um, and we cause problems in our relationships, we cause agitation in our minds, and we create negative karma, which according to the Buddhism, brings about all the difficult circumstances in our lives. So, yeah. So the problems, according to Buddhism, all the problems in our lives can be traced to the disturbing emotions and karma. And, those, and the third noble truth is that the truth of cessation. And the first noble truth is the truth of suffering or the truth of dissatisfaction, dukkha. The second noble truth is the cause of the truth of the cause of suffering. The truth of the cause of the suffering are the disturbing emotions and karma. And the disturbing emotions, you know, Disturbing emotions are based in this fundamental mistake, this fundamental misunderstanding. When we have a disturbing emotion arise, we are holding on to something as being concrete. And yeah, and we're exaggerating something with a disturbing emotion. So I'll talk about that more. The third noble truth is the truth of cessation, is that. Suffering can end. We can end suffering forever. We can end our problems forever. And the fourth noble truth is, and become liberated or enlightened. And the fourth noble truth is the path, the truth of the path. How do we liberate ourselves from suffering? <coughs> and we can by eliminating the cause, the causes of suffering. We can eliminate the causes of suffering by eliminating the disturbing emotions, reducing and ultimately eliminating them. And we can do that ultimately through realizing emptiness, through realizing that things don't exist in this concrete, solid, separate way. For this class, I'm going to use um, this book, How to See Yourself as You Really Are, as the basis of this class. And I highly recommend you to get this and read it, um, because with this subject, 
you know, we, it's useful, maybe we'll say essential, to read and reflect on it, the, the points again and again. And it's very, very helpful to have a good book. And this is an excellent, excellent, excellent book by His Holiness the Dalai Lama. Um, I put the title of the book up there. Right, our fundamental mistake is that we believe that things exist in a concrete, separate, independent way. Right. Inherently, objectively, or existing from their own side. I'll put a list of terms up here that I will be using interchangeably. And the reason, and, and you'll read these terms in various books um, on emptiness. And it's useful to use different terms because some of them really resonate with us in, in ways that other terms don't resonate with us, right? So we tend to, so I'll, I'll put a list up there um, in a little while. So we tend to think things exist in a concrete, separate way. And the biggest divide, shall I say, the biggest troublemaker is believing in a concrete separate me that's separate from others. And based on believing in a concrete separate me, then our aim is my happiness. And then I become attached to anything that brings about happiness for me. And if it's good food or beautiful sights, beautiful home, or good reputation for me, or a nice car, or you know, a partner for me, friends for me, and we get very attached mm -hmm. to our reputation and our status and our health and our become attached to anything that brings me, this concrete me, pleasure, and we develop aversion or anger, annoyance toward anything that brings me pain or prevents me from getting what I want. Love jealousy toward those who may have what we want. Fear of losing those things that bring me happiness. Etc. We compare ourselves to others and we feel happy if we think we're better than others and we feel unhappy if we think that we're worse than others. Right? We're constantly trying to prove ourselves and make ourselves worthy. So there is a me that exists, but not in the way, not as concretely as we think. There is a me that exists interdependently. Right? We exist in dependence on many, many causes and conditions. Right? 
We exist due to our parents. We are who we are due to our environment, due to our education, due to our society, due to our conditioning, due to the air that we breathe and the, the food that we eat, etc. right? We're not separate on a fundamental level. We only exist due to many causes and conditions coming together. But we don't exist in this concrete, separate way. So I'm, I'm, I'm going to... this, you know, how things appear to exist, how we believe that they actually exist, um, and then we'll get into the view of emptiness. So there appears to be an A right here, right? an A right here on this board right? that you're just passively experiencing. Right? There's an A right here. And would anyone disagree with that? slow down the process. Right? What we see are three lines. And then our mind looks right, looks at our memory bank. Sees, okay, well what is what is that? Right? What did I learn that was? Right? And we think, oh yeah, that's an A. An A. I learned that in kindergarten or whenever I learned that, right? Um, and then 
I, my mind labels A on these three lines. So there were three lines that appeared, and then your mind labeled A, right? A came from your mind, right? A came from your mind because we have a convention in this language, right, that this is an A. Yeah. A was put into we your learned. mind. Right, A, A was something we learned, yeah. There's a convention, right, in this, in this time, in certain places, there's a convention that this thing is an A. But there's no A actually here on the board. A came from your mind. Right? There's no A here. Right? If there was an A here, then the newborn baby would see, oh, A. Right? You wouldn't have to learn it's an A. We learned it's an A, and then we have this common agreement that it's an A, and it functions as an A. Right? We can read by it's not an A from its own side in and of itself. It's an A as a convention right, in our society. All right? But what we do is that we see the three lines. We impute or label A. And then the very next moment, it appears back as if it really is an A from here, from the side of, what's called, from the side of the basis, or from the side of those three lines, it appears as if there's an A. But there's no A at all on these three lines. A comes from the mind as a common agreement. Okay? A 
way validate conventionally, but it, it, it itself isn't an A from its own side. There's no... Yeah. From the existence of the three lines, the three lines don't know that it's an A. Well, kind of. Does it know it's an A? Does it know? Yeah, the lines don't know anything. Before, before written right. language, but, we've seen um, that. Yeah, so before written language. So I'll, I'll use some, some more examples. I mean, I start with this one because this one is a very um, non-threatening example, right? <laughs> this doesn't, right? This doesn't cause, all right, let's say feel anxiety, right? That there's no A at all, okay? okay. But I wanted to start with this because it's a nice way to just become familiar with the process of how we impute, right? We, something appears, we impute that as, as this, in this case, we impute it as A. It appears back as, it re, as if it really is an A from its own side, where A came from our mind. It didn't come from the side of the object. But then we get into something, right? We'll get into something. Well, it's a ga. It, you said it's a ga. Uh huh. That I haven't seen this sort of example um, in relation to dance before, but it's an interesting one because I don't have any label for that other figure, so you can kind of get more of a sense of where it's coming from. But it's also interesting to watch my mind because. When someone says something, something that I don't know it is, I'm, I mostly just think that they're wrong until I have that label, and then I think it's right. <laughs> so I can kind of see that with this example, too. Like, I think, you know, in, in a way, like, not consciously, I'm not like, oh, all the Tibetans are wrong, <laughs> like, the whole language, but I'm like, it's not really that, you know, until I think it is. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, exactly. And that, yeah, and well. His Holiness Udalama talks about that, that process a little more that I'll, I'll get into. This book is, I don't know, I've read this book maybe half a dozen times because I've taught this subject many times and I read reread it every time I teach it. And every time I read it, I'm like, oh, this is so good, right? <laughs> yeah, this is so, you know, amazing how he put this. Um, there's, yeah, there's just so much richness in this subject. And this book is just the best. This is the one that I would recommend most highly of all the books on emptiness. Um, all right. So we'll go, yeah, let's go next to this thing. Right. A book, right? It feels, seems really strongly, right, that there's a book here in my hand, a book from its own side here, right? So let's break down the process again, right? What do you see, right? So what appears to your mind initially are just, right, is a rectangular shape and some colors, right? And then the mind 
no book here. Book is a convention, right? In our society, in our language, we call something like this a book. But we learned that this is a book. It's not a book here from its own size. Right? We see colors and shapes. We impute book. And it peers back as if it really is a book. When you start playing around with other languages that you know that, and there's just other labels, it's not like, yeah, it's just yeah. other labels. Yeah, and and we'll get subtler and subtler. Yeah, I mean there are many labels, right? So so let me add another layer. Yeah, I mean in the English language we call this a book. Okay. <laughs> In French, I don't know, it's a livre or something? I don't know, I don't, I don't remember my... Libre, libre, libre in French. In Spanish, libre. Yeah, yeah. So, but not only that, right? This is a book for those of us who have the karma to perceive it. As a book, but if a an ant walked in this room, purely <laughs> hypothetically, yes. <laughs> right? This would not be a book for them, right? It, it might be something to walk on, right? right? A ground or a mountain. Or if it's a dog, it would be something maybe to chew on. So what is it, really? Is it a book, validly? I mean, is it a book, really? Or is it a mountain, really? Or is it something to chew on, really? <laughs> was a book. It is a book. It is, this thing is a book, then everyone who perceived it would perceive it as a book. But it's not. It's a book as a convention for people in a particular place and time. Yeah. And it's just as validly something to chew on for a dog. So it's not a chewy thing from its own side, and it's not a book from its own side, but it's validly a book from a particular perspective, and it's validly something to chew on from another perspective. So I'll talk about valid conventional existence later on in a future class, right. just to give an introduction. Okay. So this come, book comes into existence I'm going to talk about this more next week, but the book comes into existence due to you know, many things coming together.
due to valid labeling. Validly labeled as a book. And without the label book, it's not a book. Okay. And we'll do that thing. We'll do that with this thing. A clock. So it's also not a clock here in my hand from its own side. You see shapes and colors, and you're probably taking my word for it that it's a clock because you probably can't see the thing, yeah? So you perceive some shapes and colors, and then you label clock. And the other thing is that we're overlaying right, what we see with an image in our mind. Right? We have an image in our mind of clock that we overlay this with. And then, then it appears as if it really is a clock. Yeah. But there's no clock here. The clock came from the mind as a convention. If clock came from there, all of the things that archaeologists find, when we see pictures of them, we'd know immediately what they were. Right? If they, if their identity came from their own side and we as humans didn't create those labels. All those weird things we see pictures of and wonder what did they do with that? We would just know, right? Yeah, I mean if this yeah, I mean if it if it's like if this was a clock from its own side, clock. you wouldn't have to learn that it's yeah. a clock, right? Yeah. There's all sorts of consequences like that. If absurd consequences <coughs> like if it really if things existed <coughs> from their own side. Then you wouldn't have to learn it. And things wouldn't be able to change, and all sorts of things that I'm going to talk about in coming classes. But there's something there. Yeah. We'll talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> Am I allowed to go on? Let's try to stay focused. <laughs> yeah, I want to. I, this is a very. This is this is a subject that requires a lot of focus, so I don't want to go off on side kind of things too much. Um, but if it's directly related to... I just want to know, what does know itself when it's not? Nothing exists from its own side. That's yeah. It, I was like, well, yeah, nothing at all exists rock, from But then a rock doesn't know it exists from its side. And then we get down to like, like, ultimately, there's nothing that is in existence. Absolutely nothing exists from its own side. So, yeah. So, so I'm starting with grosser, and then we'll get some more subtle. Yeah. <laughs> then, let's say Sacramento. Sacramento seems to be this concrete, separate thing. Yeah, and then we may even have attachment to Sacramento, right? Or pride around, you know, Sacramento. Yeah. But what is Sacramento? Sacramento. Right? If Sacramento existed so concretely, yeah, from its own side, it would be very obvious 
what is sacramental. We'd be able to point to exactly what is sacramental and what is not. Yeah. And the more, but the thing is, once we start to analyze like that, what is the edge of sacramental? It feels like, right, sacramento and non-sacramento seem to be very different in our minds, right? They seem to be very separate. There's a sacramento, and there's outside of sacramento, right? There's other. So let's search for what is actually sacramento. They seem so separate. And then, okay, what's the, what's the western edge of sacramento? Sacramento River. What's the border, western border of Sacramento? The river. It's the river. Yeah. The middle of the river? Well, it's the, well, yeah, exactly. The middle yeah, of the river? Or, or is it the western edge of the river? Depends on how the political boundaries are drawn. If you're going with human conventions and boundaries. Or is it start looking for the boundary, it starts to get really fuzzy. There's, there's this convention that this is Sacramento, but it's not so concrete and solid and separate as when we look for the boundary. And I think about this, you know, with the United States, versus Mexico, for example. Right? They seem to be very, very separate in, in uh, many people's minds. In the political yeah. boundary. <laughs> yeah. I'm but from Texas, it's all one. <laughs> <laughs> right, I mean, it's, right, they, right in our minds, the U.S. and Mexico are very separate. If they were so concrete and separate, we should be able to find what is the U.S. and what's what is Mexico, and it's very, right? it's very, <laughs> right, but then you go to the border and you expect to see a line, right? I mean, I do. Maybe you don't, <laughs> but I kind of expect to see, like, oh, okay, so this is the U.S. and this is, however there is, there's a, right, there, there's right, maybe a sign. Welcome to, right, or when you cross state lines, welcome to Nevada, welcome to California, right? It's not some solid, separate thing. It was just some convention, right, of a certain point, right? There were, yeah, some people who claimed some land and got, you know, legal rights to this land, and then you can call it, right, U.S., right? And the U.S., right, started off with, 13 colonies, and then it expanded, right? The U.S. isn't something that exists from its own side. There was, there was a convention for it to be this big, and then a convention for it to be bigger, et cetera, right?
another another good example that let's 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 stay away from politics. <laughs> <laughs> let's say the Diamond Light Board. <laughs> okay. So there are I assume there's a president of the board, right? A president of the board that gets elected or appointed? Maybe appointed? Let's say it gets, well. The board votes on. Yeah, let's say elected, you know, just maybe it doesn't work quite like that, right? So at a certain point, right, so let's say the board elects a president of the board. And then at that point, that person becomes the president of the board. Right? It's not that that person from their own side is the president of the board. Right? Due to an election happening, right? then that person becomes president right? for a particular time. It's not that they themselves are the president. It's that there is this common agreement to call them the president, and then they can act as the president. Right? It's not that they themselves are the president from their own side. It was a common agreement to call them president, and then they function as the president. Are you with me? Am I making sense? Mm -hmm. Okay. So there's no president from the side of the person. There's no clock from the side of this object. There's no book from the side of this. There's no A from the side of those three lines. But there is validly an A due to common agreement, and it functions as an A. So it's validly a book due to common agreement, and it functions as a book. This is validly a clock due to common agreement, and it functions as a clock. But there is no clock at all from its own side. There's no book at all from its own side. There's no A at all from there. And there's no president at all from the side of that person, but only due to common agreement. Now I'll go to a harder one. This, <laughs> I use this one all the time because it's one of my favorites. Annoying person. <laughs> Very your favorite? I mean, I, it's, a, I, it's one of my favorite examples <laughs> because most of us resonate with this. Right? Annoying person. some colors and some shapes, we hear some sounds, right? And then our mind labels annoying person. There's no annoying person at all from the side of that person. Annoying person came from the side of our mind. And there's not one atom of annoying person see some colors and some shapes and hear some sounds perhaps 
we label annoying person, then the next moment they appear back as if they themselves from their own side are an annoying person. And if someone tells us, no, they're not, they're not an annoying person, we might even argue with them. No, <laughs> they are. They really are. Just ask anybody else. <laughs> they really are an annoying person, right? So, right, there's this belief that annoying person isn't just coming from my mind, right? There's this belief, right, if we're really annoyed, them, there's this belief as if annoying person came from the side of the person. Whereas there's no annoying person at all from the side of the person. They come, annoying person comes 100% from the mind. Just like A came 100% from the mind. Clock comes 100% from the mind. Book comes 100% from the mind. Annoying person, similarly, comes 100% from my mind, and there's not one, one speck of annoying person from the side of that person. Right? It's getting harder to believe, right? <laughs> I mean, right, it's easier to see it with an A. But once we bring up annoying person, maybe we start to see and recognize how instinctively we really feel as if annoying person comes from their side. It has nothing to do with my mind, right? We think it's the opposite, right? 100% comes from their side and 0% comes from our mind. Whereas, kind of throwing out the, right, the Buddhist hypothesis, actually, maybe it's 100% coming from the mind. Nothing from the side of the person. And it starts to get interesting. And this is how our, how our disturbing emotions take shape. We label them annoying and then we believe they disturbing emotion of annoyance because we believe that they're annoying from their own side. If we didn't believe they were annoying from their own side, our annoyance wouldn't take hold in that concrete way. Right? And we justify our annoyance and we may, some of us, they justify our annoyance in our own mind. Yeah, they're annoying. Yeah, because they keep doing blah, 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 blah. They keep whining or they keep complaining, right? Whatever it is, right? And we'll build up a story in our mind reinforcing why they really are annoying. And it's not just coming from my mind. And that's how we get mired more and more deeply into our disturbing emotions is that we, we, we label them annoying and then we see, we 
they appear back as if they really are annoying, and we believe that they really are annoying. And the more we believe that they really are annoying, the stronger our annoyance, right? The stronger our disturbing Maybe now's a good time for a break, and then we'll come back and...